0: It's just slightly different than your Bible. So this is the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me. Jesus replied, let it, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. This is the Word of God. Christ a lot, don't we? Think of how many times just this morning we've referred to Jesus Christ or to Christ Jesus or just to Christ. It, it, it's, been, it, it's been quite a bit. And in, in, even in a service that's not focused on understanding and kind of delving into what it means when we say Christ, in any given service when it's not focused on that word, that title, we still say it a lot. It's very... Familiar to us, to our lips, to our prayers, to our devotions, to our worship life. Last week we looked at what does it mean that Jesus is, what does it mean that he's called Jesus, meaning Savior. And so we looked at what Savior means and and, and why our Savior is Jesus. And this week the catechism slows us down even further. It's almost kind of like, yo, you're not going to get away that quickly. We looked at Jesus, now we're going to look at Christ. And so the catechism slows us way down and says, okay, that's what you mean by Savior, by Jesus, but what, what, do, you mean, what, what do you mean when you call him Christ? And, and I sometimes think that we're so familiar with it, we don't hear it anymore. We, we can even kind of sometimes treat it as if Christ is Jesus' last name, like Jesus' middle name, Christ. And, and, and we forget that it's a title that has deeper meaning than that. In in the Gospel of Matthew, staying in Matthew actually, there's a moment when Jesus turns to his disciples, sometime after his baptism. He turns to his disciples and he asks them, who do people think the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is is Jesus' actual favorite way of referring to himself in the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus asks them, who do people think the Son of Man is? And he asks this question, after a string of confrontations with the Pharisees who have questioned him at every turn, prodded him, provoked him. And it comes after a string of miracles in which people are happily calling him miracle worker and healer and teacher. So there's a lot of identity stuff going on for Jesus right before this passage. So he turns to his disciples. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they look at each other and they crowdsource it. Well. Some say John the Baptist returned, others say Elijah, come again. Then there's others who think it's one of the other prophets, you know, maybe, maybe Jeremiah. And then Jesus clarifies further what he's actually asking of them. He turns to his most trusted followers, his closest friends, and he asks them, what about you? Who do you say? which is Jesus' way of asking, who am I to you? Who am I to you? And without missing a beat, Peter, who too often puts his foot in the mouth in the Gospels, gets this one right. (laughs) And without missing a beat, Peter turns to him and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Peter is not telling Jesus what his last name is. Peter is making a profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, Christos, the anointed one. We don't translate this word, actually. Of all the things we translate, we leave this one intact, Christ, Christos, means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed, anointed Jesus. So when we sing in Christ alone, we could be saying, in the anointed one alone I stand. In Jesus, the anointed one. I stand. And it's actually the same Hebrew. When we say Messiah, when we say Messiah, same thing. That's the Hebrew equivalent, meaning the anointed one. So both translate into English as the anointed one. Anointed one. Anointing. it, It sounds pretty religious. I mean, we don't typically connect with anointings in any other way outside of a religious context. I mean, there's some Christian traditions that maintain an anointing with oil. Our our Catholic brothers and sisters have an anointing of the sick, anointing of the dying with oil. Our Pentecostal sisters and brothers bring out the oil when they ordain pastors. It's an anointing. It sounds like a pretty grand word, anointing. But do you know what it actually literally means? Just to translate another word, do you know what it actually means? It means to smear, to rub, to pour. This grand word, anointing, just simply means to just smear some oil, rub some oil. And and it wasn't actually when you were anointed or anointing, it wasn't always in a special religious context. Anointing was something that you did every day. There was no difference between anointing a dead body to preserve it with oil and spices. That was, that was rubbing oil into that body to preserve it. That was anointing that body. It was no different than when a man and a woman put perfume on to go to the market, they anointed themselves with perfume. Or, in the most everydayness use of this word, you anointed yourself with lotion when you had dry skin. You rubbed that oil in. You rubbed that lotion in. So, this very grand religious word that we've come to know was actually very everyday. Anointing, smearing, rubbing oil, it was, it was an everyday thing, something that somebody did multiple times. And what I love about this, what I love about this is that anointing is just another example of how God uses the everydayness of our lives to show us something beautiful and miraculous and meaningful. The same way that God takes the everyday act of eating and then gives us the Lord's Supper. The same way that God takes the everyday act of washing and gives us baptism. It's similar to how God takes the everyday act of of anointing, rubbing lotion into your skin and gives us this, this act, this marking with a purpose, this consecration, this anointing. So if anointing could be like every day, rubbing lotion, putting on perfume, rubbing it into a wound to bring healing, if you have this everyday use, what does it mean that Jesus is the anointed one? Where is that coming from? So when you're anointed in the special sense, marked for a purpose, the question you have to ask is, well, what are you anointed for? Because when it's in a special sense, when it's, when it's marked for a purpose, you have to ask, well, what, what, what purpose? You're anointed, but what are you anointed for? In the Old Testament, there were three cases, three instances, where anointing was used to mark off as a special purpose. So in the midst of, of anointing as perfume and lotion and all of this, there arose three times in which, in a religious context, it was special. It was anointing for a purpose. Three cases. Prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. So when Aaron, the brother of Moses, the very first priest for the people of Israel, God instructed the others to take the anointing oil and, and anoint Aaron by pouring it all over his head. And in that moment, God marked Aaron and his sons As priests, the first ones for Israel. And then when David stood before Samuel, next to all of his far larger and strong brothers, Mm little David, and God nudged the prophet Samuel, saying, Him, he's the one to be king. He's my choice. Rise up and anoint him. And in that anointing, God marks David as king. And when Isaiah preached to God's people, he referenced his own anointing as the reason that he had the audacity to speak for God to God's people. Isaiah writes that the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Prophet, priest, and king. But why... Why these ones? I mean, we can kind of say, okay, they're kind of, they're kind of big deals. Prophet, priest, king. We, we know enough if you've been through any kind of Christian education, right? Prophet, priest, king. The three offices. But why these three? Three Leviticus, there's, there's tons of roles in, in the people of Israel. Tons of, of rules and regulations and positions. And these are the three marked by anointing. Why, why, why do these get smeared with oil? and march for a purpose. Each role, prophet, priest, and king, functioned in a key way between God and God's people. People of God could not approach God. And God could not allow them into his presence. So what what do you do to connect God and God's people together? The three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Each role was one way that God connected to his people and God's people to their God. An anointed prophet spoke for God, spoke on God's behalf to his people. An anointed priest brought the people into the presence of God through sacrifice, through prayer, and they were anointed to approach God where others feared to tread. And an anointed king ruled over Israel, ruled over God's people on behalf of God. Kings were anointed to govern and to rule in God's name, according to God's commands. These three offices connected God and God's people. But it was never enough. It was never enough. Because no matter how many anointed prophets, priests, kings, served God, no matter how many foreheads were smeared with oil, no matter how many heads had oil poured all over them, it was never enough. Never enough to bridge, to bring God and God's people together. Never enough. There was always a disconnect. There was always another sin that required another sacrifice by a priest. There was always another lie that required another prophet to teach another lesson to God's people. And there was always another enemy that required another king to rise up and go to another war. Always another thing. Never enough. Nothing could satisfy. No one could satisfy. And you know where I'm going. It was never enough until one. Never enough until the anointed one. Until the anointed one who came into this world broke the cycle of sin and sacrifice by breaking his own body on the cross. Until the anointed one who came into this world full of grace and truth as the very word of God made flesh who spoke truthfully and fully to God's people about who God is. Until the Anointed One, who came into this world as a dust-covered, itinerant creature, and after his death, resurrection, and ascension, was crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Our priest, our prophet, our king, Jesus fulfilled these roles, stepping in and saying, "Now it's enough. Now I am enough." I love how the catechism stresses the relationship. The catechism stresses that Jesus is our priest, our prophet, our king. Right? The catechism's answer is not And he was anointed to be the chief priest, the chief prophet, the eternal king, but our, our king, our priest, our prophet. And I love that. So there's strength in what the catechism says and the answer that the catechism gives for why Jesus, why we call him Christ. Because Jesus has been appointed, anointed, with the Holy Spirit, to be our chief priest, our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest, who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body, and who continually pleads our cause with the Father, and who is our eternal king, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us, who keeps us, in the freedom that he has won for us. Powerful. Our anointed one. The one who bridges the gap between God and God's people. But there's something that shifts. There's something that shifts from the old way, the old covenant, into the new covenant, in the new way that we have in Jesus Christ. There's something that shifts. There's something that changes. And it's not just that Jesus has put us, as God's people, right with God, but it's something that flows out of that. And, and question and answer 32 points to this change, to this shift, to this new teaching. Question and answer 32 teases it out by asking us, okay, why then are you called Christian? Why are you called a Christian? Now, the easy answer to that, the easy answer to that, the more obvious answer to that is, you know, well, back in the early days of the church in Antioch, the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus were called Christians, and the name kind of stuck. And we're still called Christians. Easy. Done. Answered. Next one. The catechism doesn't leave us there. The catechism doesn't allow us to say that. The catechism goes deeper. Why are you called a Christian? Why are you called a Christian? Christian means little Christ. Ever thought about that? What Christian actually means? We're a little Christ. We're a little anointed one. That's what Christian means. We're little Christ. We're called Christians. Because by faith, the Catechism says, we are members of Christ. And so we share in his anointing. We share in his anointing. All up until Christ, prophet, priest, and king were for specific people in specific times, set apart and marked, special ones. The high offices. And something changes here because all of a sudden, The people of God, all the people of God, share in his anointing. Share in the special marking, being smeared with oil. (laughs) Shared in being set aside for a purpose. All share by virtue of faith and being in Jesus Christ. Share in the anointing. Now you might be wondering, wait, no one smeared oil on my head. No one poured oil over my head. I don't remember that bit. Anointing? I don't. That didn't happen to me. But it did. And it does. Because we just witnessed someone sworn into office, we just witnessed someone be anointed. Logan Joel, who's out now, isn't he? Logan Joel, that little guy with a little swoop of hair, that tiny little boy in that beautiful baptismal gown, was anointed by being baptized in response to vows and the promises of God between God and his covenant people. Water poured over his head, whether he liked it or not. And the mark of the cross made on his tiny little forehead. We have been anointed. Maybe not with oil, but with the waters of baptism. Now water, anointing, baptism, oil it shows up in another baptism, in the one that we read, at the baptism of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, as he was being raised up by John the Baptist out of the waters, the heavens were torn open, and a voice declared that you are my son, with whom I am well pleased, (coughs) whom I love, and the spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. The spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. So let's back up a second. There's no oil in that story either. Right? There's no oil. There's water. But there's that spirit coming down and alighting on Jesus as he comes up out of the waters. An oil smeared and rubbed and used for anointing throughout the Old Testament isn't just oil. It's a symbol. The oil marked on foreheads and poured over heads and, and used to mark prophets, priests, and kings symbolized the Spirit of God. Oil was never just oil. It symbolized in that anointing the Spirit of God coming upon someone Marking that person for a purpose and fulfilling that purpose in their lives. So remember back when God nudged Samuel? when Samuel saw the, the, the line of, of David and his brothers, and Samuel wanted to go with one of the taller, big, strapping ones, because obviously that looks like a king. We should definitely anoint that one. And, and God nudged Samuel saying, this one, the youngest, the littlest." This one rise up and anoint. The verse right after that, where God nudges Samuel to anoint David as king, says that then Samuel took the horn of oil, horn full of oil, and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. The spirit of the Lord came on David in power. It's not about the oil, it's about the spirit. Which echoes Isaiah's words that we read just a little moment ago, right? Isaiah's words when he mentioned that the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. And then that is echoed again in the baptism of Jesus, the spirit coming down from heaven and resting on Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is on me. And this was echoed in the baptism of Logan Joel. When we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for baptism, asking that God pour out your Holy Spirit so that this little one may be washed clean and receive new life. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Anoint with your Holy Spirit. Because each of our baptisms is an anointing. It's not just a moment in the past where we took cute pictures and we don't remember because we were infants. It's not just a moment in the past. It is an anointing that reverberates throughout entire life of faith, marking us as a people with purpose. At our baptism, God marks us through his spirit as his own, gives us a purpose and a calling to be a Christian. Not just a church attender, not just someone who checks a box religion, Christian, but as a little Christ, a little anointed one. That's the answer the catechism gives us to why we're called a Christian. That we are anointed, three parts, to confess his name like prophets, to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thanks like priests, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity like kings. From this day forward, from this baptism, from this anointing, as Logan grows up in faith, as Matthew and Christina shepherd this little life into a life of faith, he will grow up as a Christian, confessing the name of Jesus, learning to live a life of gratitude and service, and learning that language of repentance, of confession, and of forgiveness. Learning to be a little Christ, a little Christian. And this is the life of faith. A life that we are all called to, that we are all anointed That sounds big. That sounds a little overwhelming. Can't we just be satisfied that we have pastors and elders and deacons to do all the special office stuff? Why do we all have to share in the anointing? That's too big of a job. But remember that as you live into your anointing, your baptism, your identity as a Christian, Remember that God takes the everyday acts of life, the ordinary acts of life, like washing and eating and rubbing lotion into your skin, and he transforms them into something miraculous and meaningful and powerful, like the Lord's Supper, like baptism, like anointing. Because that is the way our God works. That is who our God is. And that is how he works in our lives, too. Taking the everyday acts of life, the ordinary, sometimes mundane, bits of our own lives, and using them for his purpose, for his glory, and for his kingdom. One of my favorite preachers says this about our anointing. Barbara Brown Taylor writes that, Living our calling as Christians, living our calling as Christians, living our anointing requires a rich and disciplined imagination so that we can see the extraordinary dimensions of an ordinary life. To see the hand of God at work in the world and to see one's own hands as necessary to that work whether those hands are diapering an infant, or assembling a truck, or balancing a corporate account, they are hands used by God, claimed by God at baptism for the accomplishment of God's will on earth. We need to have the imagination that God has to see the extraordinary and the ordinary, to see the spirit of God and anointing the promises of God and the waters of baptism, and the presence of Christ, and the food and drink of the table. And to see the ways in which the Spirit is at work and moving in our lives in extraordinary ways in the everydayness of who we are and how we live. That's the life of faith. And we live this life of faith Knowing and trusting that we are held and that we are loved by our prophet, by our priest, by our king, our Christ, our anointed one. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. faithful God and Father we give you thanks for our baptism for the baptism this morning of little Logan Joel for the ways in which you have marked us for a purpose through your son Jesus Christ to grow more like him to walk away from sin and to walk into the new life you have prepared for us and you have promised your spirit to help us in this work And the grace to forgive us when we fail at this work. Father, we pray that they will know we are Christians by our love. Sometimes that's a bad barometer. We pray that they will know that we are Christians by your love. Seen through us to your world. As we strive to grow into what it means to be a Christian. To be a little Christ. In the name of our Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.